to be in the building this morning. Amen. I am. Praise God. I'm thankful, thankful to be here. So grateful. Praise God. So thankful. I feel something in my heart. I'm going to bring it to you this morning. And I had the Lord bring this to my attention 10 days ago. And it's kind of ironic because I'm going to talk to you about a storm. And I had uh, had the Lord put this in my heart, uh, like I said, 10 days ago. So it didn't just happen because of Friday night's events. But I want to take your attention to the book of Acts chapter 27. I'm going to start reading at verse 23. Acts chapter 27. And in verse 23, and read down to verse 26. In Acts chapter 27, verse 23, Luke is the historian that had written the book of Acts, and Luke is recording this event and the life of the Apostle Paul, and he brings this to our attention. This is the words of Paul in the middle of this incredibly powerful storm. And Paul said, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. Look at that last verse. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. I want to talk to you for the next little while from this thought, the stopover, the stopover. Would you pray with me before you're seated? Lord, we just want to say thank you again for this opportunity to be in this place gathered with your people gathered here in your name we thank you for your wonderful presence that is with us today lord we want you to be exalted in all things and we pray today that you would give us an ear to hear what your spirit would say to the church and i pray today lord that you would help me to be that instrument that you could just bring this word through God, I I just merely want to be that. I don't want to get in the way of what you want to say. Speak, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated in Jesus' name. I want to reiterate what Brother Nick said a moment ago, that if you don't have electricity yet and you just want to hang out here at the church this afternoon, uh, please feel free to do so. Uh, You can hang out. I've witnessed people before taking naps in here in the sanctuary. And so you can lay out across these chairs if you want to. It's going to be warm. We thank God for electricity. We thank God for that. Amen. (laughs) Praise God. I know some of you got here early this morning to get coffee. I can understand that. I can relate to that. I've not made coffee in my house since Friday morning. And, uh, I just, I can absolutely relate. 
And so there will be coffee. We'll make a pot of coffee before we leave here to make sure there is coffee at the coffee bar. And so if you haven't got electricity, just feel free to, uh, to come and hang out here today. Praise God. I have looked at this passage of Scripture multiple times over the past several years that I've been a pastor and been preaching. And I have never, that I can remember, focused on that 26th verse. But the Lord drew my attention to it uh, as I was looking into this. In verse 26 of Acts 27, when the statement is made, how be it, Paul's making this statement. And he said, how be it, we must be cast upon a certain island. Now this is a stopover. What is a stopover? A stopover is an interruption in the course of a journey for stopping or visiting a certain place. When you read Acts chapter 27, Acts is the history book of the church, and Acts 27 is telling the story of Paul on his way to Rome to see Caesar. And so Acts 27 involves some things that is worth noting. Acts 27 involves purpose. The purpose, Paul was on a course to see Caesar, the, the emperor. Acts 27 involves travel. There had been a ship that was chartered. Acts 27 involves destination because there was a destination that the ship was on, and that was to get to Rome, Italy. Acts 27 involves a violent storm, and it was so violent that the storm was actually called Eurocladon. And Acts 27 involves a stopover. The stopover was an unplanned, un unintended, but God-honoring event. I want to tell you this morning that storms end, and aren't you thankful for that? Storms end. Storms end, stopovers are temporary, destinations eventually are reached, and travel stops. And above all of this, purpose prevails. Everybody say purpose. We have to understand our purpose, and that's the driving point behind this simple message this morning. Mark Twain was no theologian. I don't even know where he stood as far as being a Christian or not. But he came out with some good statements. And one of those statements he made was, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. The two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. I would like to apply that to us this way. As believers, as children of God, I'd like to apply it like this about those two days. The, the days that are important in our lives are the day that you are called to follow Christ and the day you understand the purpose of that call. Paul was one of those that clearly understood what God had called him to do, what God had called him to be. And he, he, he gave himself to the fulfillment of that call. Paul is the subject of the story here in Acts chapter 27 and 28. Paul knew that he was called. Paul never got away from that call. Paul never got away from his encounter with God, and he never one time doubted the call of God on his life. In Acts chapter 9, Luke records the happening of when Paul was called to follow God. 
And in Acts chapter 22, you find Paul in his own words giving, giving his testimony to the Jewish mob at Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 26, you find Paul in his own words giving his testimony before Governor Festus and King Agrippa and Queen Bernice. Philippians chapter 3, Paul is writing to the Philippian church that started out of Acts chapter 16. And he tells how his call, this call upon his life, has focused him, has driven him, and has guided him. Paul lets us know in his writings and in his testimony that I met the Lord. And I want to know the Lord that I met. And nothing comes close to what God has done in my life. Paul refused to let a mob cancel him. Paul refused to let a king intimidate him. Paul's life tells us that I'm not afraid of a crowd and I'm not wowed by a title. I've met the Lord. I've met the Lord. And that's greater than a crowd and that's greater than a king. And I want to know him. Paul's life statement could be summed up in how he wrote in Philippians chapter 3. and verse 7, Paul made the statement that, those things that were gained to me I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them uh, but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable, conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, or if that I may grab hold of that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus." Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I've not got a hold of all of it yet. I'm not where I want to be, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And in Paul's admonition to you and I as believers, in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Paul said, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children follow God as dear children and while you're following God as dear children walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor you ought to have that verse or those two verses memorized but now preach from it for I think four times over the past couple of weeks but Paul said we follow him. The, the mandate, the example, the pattern for a genuine believer, for genuine discipleship is found in those two verses of Scripture, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. We follow him, we love like Jesus, and we live our life as a living sacrifice. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. And a disciple is a student, a follower. After Jesus had died and had been buried and risen again, the term was used in a broader sense for Christian believers and followers. And brothers and sisters, a disciple 
follows. A genuine disciple does not run around doing their own thing, carrying the name of Jesus on their life. A genuine disciple follows Jesus. A genuine disciple of Jesus is not just merely following a list of rules. A genuine disciple of Jesus loves like Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves this question. In following him, are we living our lives as a living sacrifice? Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me remind you today, I feel the Holy Ghost drive in me. You've been given a body, but once you are born again of the water and of the Spirit, Paul reminds us what? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You have stewardship of the temple of God when you've been born again of the water and of the spirit. Your mouth is to bring praise to him. Your hands are to serve for him. Your feet are to share the gospel for him. Your heart is to love like him. You are God's. Are you bringing honor to the Lord today? That's who we are. And it's incredible to be a child of God. It is absolutely incredible to be a child of God. Those of you that don't know us and those of you that might be visiting, that older guy that was up here a while ago, that's my pop. He's the bishop. That means he's the overseer. That means he gets to do exactly what he wants to do at church. He is our goal. That's who we're attaining. I'm, and I, I looked at a, we had a little family get together yesterday and I saw pop's picture with his siblings and my first thought was I look like that. And my second thought was, oh, Lord, I look like that. I'm honored to be David Beecham, the son of Bobby Beecham, but I've stated it before, and I'll state it again, and then I'll state it sometime again in the future. I'm thankful to be a Beecham. I'm thankful for my heritage. I'm thankful for growing up here, but I'm more thankful to bear the name of Jesus on my life, the one that brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light, put his name on me, his spirit in me. It's incredible to be a child of God. And if you're not excited about being a child of God, something ain't quite right. Because if you're a child of God and you know who your Lord and Savior is, there's a hope in you, there's a peace in you, there's a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. You've got something the world didn't give you and nobody can take away from you. You ought to clap your hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul knew who he was, and that's the driving force behind this little message this morning. There's three quick points that I want you to look at. Number one is going to be the storm. Number two is going to be the shipwreck. And number three is going to be the stopover, the storm. In Acts chapter 27, Paul was on his way to Rome, to Rome, Italy. He was going to appear before Caesar. And before they got ready to set sail, 
Paul had warned of trouble that was going to be ahead if they sailed. It wasn't the right time to be setting out on such a long journey. The timing was off, and Paul looked at them, and he said, it's going to jeopardize the ship, and it's going to jeopardize the lives of those on board. But Paul's admonishment was, it was overruled, because after all, Paul's a preacher. Preachers stick to preaching, and shipmasters, they just, they just stick to that. And so Paul's admonishing was overruled, and the centurion believed the captain of the ship and the owner of the ship more than what Paul said. So it set him up for this incredible storm. And in Acts chapter 27, verse 13, and when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, supposing everything was going to be all right, they loosed thence and they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up in, into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship, fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strake sail, so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship, and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. I want you to notice this 20th verse. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. When neither sun nor stars in many days appeared. That storm that hit us, and I'm thankful today, and you know, I'm just like you are, I say I'm how thankful I am, and on the other hand, I feel kind of somewhat guilty that the only thing that happened to us was we just lost electricity, and many people all across this part of our country have suffered devastating loss, and we need to continue to hold them up in our prayers. But at 1.45 a.m. on Saturday morning, when the lights went out, right around that time when the lights went out, and as far as I know at my house, they're still out, it's weird to be in the dark. It's really odd. And so late last night, I'm driving home from the church, and I'm going back to my house. I live right downtown. I've never seen Lexington blacked out. And I drive right downtown. I drive past, uh, I think it was Food Giant. Maybe it was the last place I saw any kind of light. And I go into downtown Lexington, and it's black. That's the weirdest thing. But then you know what I saw? I saw the stars. I've never seen the stars that bright at my house until I did like at 12.30 a.m. this morning. It was just you could see the stars because the streetlights weren't blinding me. But in this particular story, they saw neither the sun nor the stars. And as a result of that and the storm that was raging without them seeing the sun or the stars, they lost hope. Look closely at this. We're going to read on, but I want you to look closely at this. The sun 
that was their source of light. The stars, that was their source of navigation. They navigated by the stars. And the absence of light and direction. You see, they had lost light and they had lost direction. And the absence of light and direction results in hopelessness and confusion. The storms are bad, but they're worse in the dark. And so here it was. They lost light and they lost direction. And as a result of losing light and direction, they lost hope. Oh, but sometimes God needs to take us into a dark room to show us how great he really is. I was reading about this, and I was thinking about it, and the Holy Ghost directed my mind to many years ago in the 70s. I remember taking a photography class in the 70s, and we were taught the value of a dark room. In a dark room is where things are developed. Film came on a roll. Now, this is back in the old days, and I'm talking to the older people here this morning, so y'all know what I'm talking about. It used to be you took pictures with something beside your phone. There used to be a thing in the days of antiquity, in ancient days, there was a thing called a camera. Anybody remember what a camera was? Anybody remember a 35-millimeter camera? that you had to take and put the film in and wind it and start taking pictures. Well, the roll of film was placed in the camera, and you were picky about the film you bought. And then at the end of that, you, you took that last picture, that 24th or that 36th picture, and at the end of that, you wind that up, and you carefully put that in that little black canister that after you got your film developed, you use as a waterproof matchbox. Anybody remember that? But that, that film was taken into a dark room and you opened it and began to process it. And after that, it came out with what you called or what we called a negative. A negative is an image on a transparent plastic film from which beautiful photographs are about to be developed. In the old days, y'all remember how you treated those negatives? In the old days, you kept them in an envelope because you could take them and have a picture developed off of it again. You kept those negatives in an envelope because they were valuable. But the message from that is that from the dark room, something beautiful emerges. That beautiful photograph you got hanging on the wall, that beautiful family picture on the wall had to go through a dark room for its beauty to emerge. Don't you fret the dark room because God's got something developing in the dark room. And we learned in photography class that you can't deny the process and you can't rush the process. And we learn in the scripture, Paul tells us in Romans 12, 12, you be patient in tribulation. Poke your neighbor and say, just be patient. Just be patient because the dark room is used to develop from a roll of film that you put in the camera to the picture being snapped to the film going to the dark room and the negative made into a print. you got to go through all that process because in the end result, you're going to have something beautiful. But what that process is called is development. It's developing, and you develop in the dark room. Clap your hands to the Lord one more time. Hallelujah. 
And here they were in the dark. And it's in the dark. There's a time between the snap and that developed product. There's time and there's process. And here they were in the dark. The sun was gone and the stars were unseen and all hope of their being saved was lost. But not at one single time did God forget where his man with a purpose was. Not one single time did God forget that he had a man on the way to, to meet Caesar in Rome. And the storm doesn't bother God. A long storm doesn't bother God. Darkness doesn't bother God. The absence of stars doesn't bother God. What God starts, God's going to finish. And it doesn't matter what it looks like at the moment. In verse 21 of Acts 27, after long abstinence, Paul stood in the midst of them and he said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not loose from Crete. You wouldn't have gained this harm and loss. But now, I encourage you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. That night, Paul said, there stood by me this night. According to how Luke wrote it, that night was about 14 days long. It was a night that just would not end, kind of like this past Friday night. It was a night that we were watching for the day to come. And Paul said, there stood by me in this night. In the dark room, I heard a word from God. In the dark room, I received a message from the Lord. I want to tell somebody, let God speak into your darkness because the day is going to dawn. Hallelujah. There stood by me in this dark time the God, the angel of God, whose I am and whom I served. And he said, notice this, fear not, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given all them that sail with the, I know I got to go on. I got to preach the rest of the message. But let me pause right here and tell somebody something that if you hold on to God, it's not only going to change your life, it's going to change those that are around you. There are people around you that are going to be affected by how you act in the night, how you act in the dark room. And then he says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. Mm. I could preach all day long. I believe God. Right here with the ship rocking underneath his feet. Y'all got to keep in mind the storm hadn't stopped yet. The sun hadn't shined yet. The stars weren't seen yet. Paul just had a word. Paul just had a word. And he's standing here. He's got his sea legs under him by now. I, I, I don't know how big the waves were. If it was this big of a storm as they said it was, it could have been 60 foot, 100 foot waves. And Paul's standing here and said, hey, right in the middle of all of this shakiness that's going on, he said, hey, y'all, 
Hey, y'all, be of good cheer. I believe God. It shall be even as it was told me. It may be right in the middle of this storm, but I'm gonna stand here and declare that God's got this under control. God has got it. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. What do you do in a storm? You stand. Poke your neighbor and say, we stand. There's three things that Paul stood on, and that scripture gives it to us. In the storm, we stand. We stand on our purpose. We're going somewhere. Paul's on his way to meet Caesar, and God said, you're going to get there. In the storm, we stand. We stand on our purpose. In the storm, we stand in our position. His position was, I'm a child of God. I know who I am, and I know he knows me. We stand on our purpose, and we stand on our position, and we stand on our promise because God said, I will get there. In a storm, you stand. Stand on your purpose, stand on your position, and stand on your promise. And if you're standing on your purpose and on your position and on your promise, you can look at those around you and say, hey, y'all, cheer up. Secondly is the shipwreck. Now, the ship, the ship was the vessel that was used to get them where they were going. And the ship, Paul's here with me for just a moment. The ship was their security during the storm. The ship was their refuge. And I never noticed this until just this past week that the ship is mentioned 10 times in this story. 10 times the ship is mentioned. They were caught, or the ship was caught in the wind. They undergirded the ship. They lightened the ship. They cast off the tackling of the ship. Paul said, we will be saved, but we'll lose the ship. They must abide in the ship. There were 276 souls in the ship. They thrust the ship toward the shore. They ran the ship aground, and they floated ashore on broken pieces of the ship. Ten times ship is mentioned. The ship is what got them through the storm. I want you all to hear this. The ship that got them through the storm came apart. You know what that tells us? There are some things we appreciate, but we don't attach ourselves to. Because what brought you to, oh, I, somebody help me. What brought you to this point ain't going to be what takes you to your destination. What got you to this point was purposeful. And there's some testimonies in this room today. There are some things that some of you have gone through that has driven you toward God. And what drove you toward where you are is not going to be what takes you onto your destination. You can appreciate what brought you here, but don't attach to it because God is taking you somewhere. Acts 27, verse 40, when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves into the sea, and they loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainstail, or mainstail to the wind and made towards shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the 
four parts stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which would or could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to the land, and the rest some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to the land. The 276 people, because of Paul, made it to this island of Melita. The ship that brought them there was not going to be what took them to Rome. There was the storm. There was the shipwreck. And then, finally, there's the stopover. They came out of the storm into a beautiful island. The ship, the storm, the stopover. They were on the ship, they were in the storm, and that's the setting for our text. And notice again as we look at it, and I'm going to start tying this together. Where we started a moment ago, Paul says in verse 23 of Acts 27, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. The storm was bad. The shipwreck was bad. And now the stopover. Looks like finally, finally, there's going to be some respite. Because if I'm going to have a wreck, I would sure like to wreck on a tropical island. How about y'all? I would really like that. God, if you're going to cause me to have a shipwreck, I can't think of a better place than to wash ashore at a vacation destination. This is the stopover. And the stopover, that's an interruption in the course of the journey. That's a visiting place. They survived. They escaped the sea. And they were on a hospitable island. There's going to be rest and there's going to be recovery. There's going to be food and shelter and warmth and dryness. We're going to get out of the wet clothes. In Acts 28, verse 1. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people shoot us no little kindness. They kindled a fire, received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and had laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Can y'all just imagine? A two-week-long storm. They don't see the sun or the stars. The ship breaks apart under them. They make it to the shore. They all survive. And now while he's throwing wood on the fire, he gets bit by a snake. You know, if you didn't know you had a purpose, y'all hang in here with me. If you didn't know you had a purpose, you'd think you was out of the will of God. God, am I in your will? I'm going through a storm. God, am I in your will? This thing that's got me where I am is breaking up under me. God, am I in your will? I made it to shore. And now, out of all the people 
There's 276 of them, y'all. And Paul's the one that got bit by a snake. There's the storm, the shipwreck, and now there's the viper. In verse number 4, And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. These guys were influenced by Greek mythology. And these islanders... On the island of Melita, the, they believed that the goddess Justice, which was the daughter of Venus, this is all Greek mythology, but they believed that the goddess of Justice had a way of remedying things. And so the, gost, the goddess of Justice was going to rectify this situation because that horrible person escaped the storm, but the goddess of Justice is going to bring vengeance. And so they're watching because this is going to honor their goddess of justice. Their goddess of justice is going to receive honor because their goddess of justice has proven that you will get caught. And But in verse 5, he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. You see, God's not going to share his glory with anybody. God said, that's my man. He's on, he's on a mission for me. My purpose is on his life. I knew he was going to make it through the storm. I knew he was going to survive the shipwreck. And I'm not going to give any glory to your goddess of justice. He can take up serpents or drink any deadly thing. Nothing is going to harm you. And he shook it off in the fire because Paul was not a murderer. Paul was a man called by God with a mission from God. He has a storm that is behind him now. He was a storm overcomer, a shipwreck survivor, and he wasn't going to be done in by a snake, and he wasn't going to bring glory and honor to a, to a pagan goddess. Paul just shook it off. Come on back, music. Paul just shook it off. Matter of fact, come back and give me a little shaking off music. Paul just shook it off. Paul didn't, are y'all with me? Paul just shook it off. Paul didn't murmur. Paul didn't complain. Y'all know, y'all just put yourself into this situation, all right? Have y'all, I don't want to be carnal right now, but we don't have cable TV, but we do have, what do we have? Hulu. Through the internet. And so, there's this, there's this advertisement on there. I don't even know what it's advertising. I just know the content of this advertisement. That it shows Venus, Venus Williams merging with Wonder Woman. And so she, she's being attacked by these monsters that are spouting out these tennis balls. And so she's fighting them off as Venus Williams' Wonder Woman. And John McEnroe. Because I'm old enough to remember John McEnroe when he played tennis. And so John McEnroe is walking out, to, out of this mall, and he's got a drink and a plate in his hand, and one of those tennis balls hits him. And John McEnroe is known for his temper tantrums. And so that ball hits him and knocks his drink over his beautiful white tennis clothes. And he goes, are you serious? That's what I thought about when I read this passage of Scripture. 
I survived the storm. I survived the shipwreck. I'm washed up on an island and I get bit by a deadly viper. Are you serious? But Paul didn't murmur. Paul didn't complain. Paul didn't back and roll Jesus and say, are you serious? I'm tired. I'm wet. I just want to get dried off. And now this. Paul just shook it off. He just shook it off. I'm talking to somebody here today and they're like, God, I went through this and I went through that and now this. Are you serious? How much more are you going to put on me? Why don't you just say, I'm just going to shake it off. He just shook it off. He just shook it off. And that's the lesson. He just shook it off. He just shook it off. Why is that so important? And we're tying this up now. Why is that so important? Because there's some watchers. In verse 6, how be it, they looked. They were watching him. They looked. They watched that hand. And when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius laid sick of a fever and a bloody flux and whom Paul entered in and he prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with much things as were necessary. The story is about Paul, but it wasn't just about Paul. Paul's response in the storm brought cheer. And Paul's response to the shipwreck saved 276 lives. Paul's response to the snake bite caused God to be glorified. Those of you that are in a storm right now, God's word to you is stand. And those of you that your ship is coming apart under you, God's word is just leave it behind. And those of you that have said, God, I've come through that storm and my ship has come apart under me and now I'm snake bit, just shake it off. Because we have a call. We have a purpose. God has a plan and we're in it. And we're not being shaken. We're shaking off. We're shaking off. Would you stand with me right now? There's some eyes on somebody in this room today, and that's the reason God gave me this word. I know it's simple, but there's some eyes that are on some people in this room this morning. And while you're standing, would you just bow your heads with me? There's some eyes that's on some people in this room. 
Some of you have been through some things, and then you've been through some other things, and now you're into some other things. And some of you have questioned God. When's the respite coming? When's the break going to happen? Some of you feel like you've come through the storm, survived the shipwreck, and now the stopover that's supposed to be a time of respite is supposed to be a time of refreshing. It's proven to be another trial, but just shake off. Shake off. Because God's about to be glorified. Your destination's about to be reached. Your purpose is about to be fulfilled. I feel the Holy Ghost driving me on this right now. There's some people in this room today that didn't give in to the fact that you didn't have electricity and you didn't have things at home. And so you could have just stayed home. But you've come here. There's some people in this room today that you know the Spirit of God has driven home His Word to you and enlightenment has come into your heart and mind. That there's some things that you've continued to battle and struggle with. And God's Word to you as I've brought you to this point. And you just shake it off into the fire right now. Because I'm still in control. Go back to that word that God gave you. That word that he gave to you in that dark time. That word that he gave to you that says you're going to complete your purpose. You're going to stand where I I said you were going to stand. Go back to that when you encouraged somebody during that dark time and you told them, be of good cheer. I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. That was before the ship came apart. That was before the snake latched itself to you. And here you are at this third point. And God's simply speaking to you and say, just shake it off. Because what I told you in the dark, what I told you in the dark is not going to be made invalid because of your recent snake bite. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. God's speaking to some people right here, right now. They're going to start singing this, and I think you ought to just come and stand before the Lord around this altar and lift your hands and just tell God you still believe. I believe you, Lord. I believe you, Lord. I believe it. Come on. Come on. You've come through the dark. You've survived the storm. You've had a viper latch latch yourself to you, but it's time to shake off some things and lift a voice and say, I still believe. I still believe. I still believe. Come on, the Holy Ghost is ministering in this room right now. The Spirit of God is ministering in this place. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Y'all come in and lift your hands in faith to the Lord and then begin praying one prayer. Come on. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, I've come through the storm.
life and life has storms but the good thing about storms is they're temporary no storm lasts forever they're temporary and that ship represents things in life our material things storms happen to everybody 
And those things that we depend on sometimes crumble apart under our feet. And when the storms come, we stand. And when the ships wreck and fall apart, we survive it. And we get through it. But when you look at that viper, the serpent, that was a literal thing. But when you look in Scripture, the serpent is always representative of Satan and of evil. So Paul had come through what life threw at him and he came through what kept them for a little while but fell apart up under them. And then Satan has one final last ditch effort to try to sabotage Paul's, Paul's call. And he just shook it off. He didn't say a word. He gave instruction in the storm. He gave instruction in the shipwreck, but he didn't say a word about that. Some of you are fighting one final battle with Satan before something's going to come to fruition in your life. And you've been through some storms and you've been through some collapse of things that you've just merely survived. And you've got to understand today that this last ditch effort from hell is not going to stop me. I'm going to shake it off. Come on. I'm going to shake it off. I'm going to shake it off. I still believe. One more time, rip your hands to the Lord. sister and let's pray one for another right now dear Lord we come to you today with hearts that are overwhelmed with thanksgiving we thank you Lord that we've been able to assemble together in this place to worship and Lord today we thank you for what you've done to minister to us by your spirit I pray today in this room Lord that you would just move deep within the hearts of every one of my brothers and sisters God, that a resurgence of faith and believing you would take place in every heart and every mind. God, that a settledness would come over them and they would realize, God, that you are in control and your purpose, your plan, your will for our life will be fulfilled. For it is you that worketh in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. And we submit ourselves to that. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We're going to be here today, 545, for prayer and go right on into praise and worship. I feel a word in my heart. It ain't going to be long, but I'm going to preach a little word tonight that God's put within me. Y'all can tell people that it's going to be warm and there'll be free coffee. They just have to come sit in the sanctuary after their coffee. That's a good way to get them in the building tonight. God bless you. I love all of you. Be blessed in Jesus' name. One more time. Let's go out with this song. We still believe. We still believe.